Hello everybody, I'm Jackie Cameron and with me today we've got Fred Razak and Aaron Kirkfleet. We've got a little technical problem at the moment so you can't actually see Aaron but um, you can hear him for now. So what we're going to do, is, um, we're just going to start with um, introducing you to Aaron and uh, there, there's Fred's picture, there we go, that's it. So Aaron, um, could you just uh, say something so we know that you're with us? Hi there, yeah. Good morning, everyone, to the business community. I hope you're well today. So, um, as we've got on the slide here for you, Aaron is based in London, and Aaron is a specialist in global property investing. And as you can hear, he's also a South African, so he understands the requirements that we have when we want to invest outside South Africa. Aaron, before we get started with the questions, and I will also introduce Fred as well when, when he arrives. I'm afraid we've got that technical challenge today. Um, Aaron, could you just set out what the market is like for uh, property investors who want to go and invest in London now? Is it a good time to invest, a bad time? Is it very expensive for South Africans? Uh, perhaps you could just set out what it is you do for South Africans while we... Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, with London property and the current, um, you know, pound to pound exchange rates, it's a little bit um, unaffordable. But what we do tend to find is um, properties across the UK and um, it's generally in line with the budget that a lot of South Africans can um, afford. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's sort of every, we're trying to have a wide range of properties to cater for everyone's requirements. So if you're looking for um, a higher yield, so some um, some people would have sent their kids to study abroad. Um, they need to cover their, their living costs, which is about £22,000 a year. And um, what they would normally do is purchase a high yielding property like student property or a retirement property like a care home, which is between 8 and 10%. Or um, the other things, you know, are really looking at things which are more higher, higher growth. So it's been, you know, the the second cities like Birmingham and uh, Manchester, and then we get London commuter towns. So those are ones where, you know, the yield is not that exciting for for people that are um, earning a good living in South Africa and they want to, you know, protect some of their capital um, and and benefit from the growth in those areas. You know, with COVID coming around, um, you know, more people are working from home. They're cancelling their tenancies in London and moving uh, further outside. And what we're seeing is a spike in demand uh, for London commuter towns and also um, the, the second cities. So London property is traditionally very expensive. I mean, a very small flat will cost the same that a, a small mansion in Scotland will cost. So uh, what kind of money are you talking about to get your foot on the London property ladder? I mean, I think with London, you know, with properties that, you know, you're going to sell, you know, easily to um, when, you, when you want to make a profit. What we look at is saying, look, you know, it's better for people to go and purchase properties that the average Londoner can afford, you know. So if you look at that typical individual is earning £40,000 and a um, couple will be £70,000. So the multiples of earnings, um, you know, mortgage availability is the same in most countries, you know, it's maximum five times your earnings. So you should really be looking at properties where um, for a one bed of 240000 and a two bed around um, 350000 So it's quite tricky to get those prices in a decent sort of area. Um, but I see Flip Rich has come on the line there. So um, yes, hi Fred, welcome. I'm glad you joined hey, us. So, so um, just let me just briefly introduce Fred, and then we'll carry on with some of the questions and and pick up on property with Aaron again. 
So Fred is a, a global trading specialist with CM Trading. So uh, we're very lucky to have him, especially with the markets being so exciting now, Fred, uh, with, with, with all these all-time all highs uh, in the US. Are you finding that you're very busy at the moment? Extremely busy. And have we all missed it? Missed the opportunities now, or do you think there's still some good opportunities to invest in the U.S.? You know, as this famous story says, you know, ultimately there's always opportunities. Okay, there's never going to be a situation where you're going to miss out on everything. Okay, it's just money is just being transformed from place to place. It's never not. I. It's always you know moving. It's not idle at any point. So the the trick is it's just to move before the money moves. So you get there before the money actually moves there. So, um, you know, the, the opportunities are abound, especially now. I see, I see it across the board. Great, and we're seeing a lot of news as well that uh, this COVID-19 pandemic has uh, spawned a whole generation of day traders, and we've all been sitting at home uh, bored, and now we've started uh, buying and selling stocks. Are you seeing a lot of demand still? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really the markets where everybody wants to get into. Okay, uh, the volatility is there. Although the VIX has really, you know, subsided over the past, uh, I would say, three months ever since uh, May. Um, nevertheless, there's still opportunities. I mean, the markets are still going up. Um, and like I said, there's a rotation that is going on. First, it's the indices and the equity markets that were just exploding and they're still exploding in the US. I mean, Apple is trading at $471. During the pandemic, it was selling at $220 and it's hitting new highs um, together with the NASDAQ and carrying. And there's a rotation of stocks like we've spoken about before that just continue to go up. Now, you know, at the end of the day, we're all playing musical chairs here. And, at, you know, there's going to be a day where there's going to be a reckoning and there's going to be a little bit of a correction in the markets. But going into where we are right now, the pandemic and to an election year, you have all the atmosphere of excitement and opportunities uh, that I haven't seen in maybe 20 years. So you're still seeing a lot of opportunities. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look at, what gold, look at what gold has done in the past three weeks. I mean, unbelievable. Um, now, this is all like you're saying. These are day traders that are aggravating the market even more so. And if you're aggravating the market, it's going to be more volatile. So the moves are much more extreme. Um, and you're seeing that. And I think the central banks or the uh, central um, economic uh, uh, Congress of each country is really just controlling the situation and making sure that the markets are not tanking. I mean, if you look at the JSC, the Johannesburg Stock Exchange is trading at all time highs. The NASDAQ is trading at all time highs. The Dow Jones is close to its all time highs. So, you know, we're trading on intervals that seems a little bit artificial to me. Uh, nevertheless, the markets are still quite attentive to it and there's volatility and there's participation and that's all you need in order to make money and liquidity in the markets. Thank you. So we've got a first question here from Ronald and he wants to know he's interested in trading foreign currency. What is your view on trading the RAND now and how do you get started? So for so, somebody who's never traded in the RAND before. So there's two questions there. There's one, how do you train Forex and two, how do you trade the RAND. Now, the RAND is a trade. I'm going to answer that first and then we'll go to the first question. Um, so, the RAND is actually a very tricky uh, currency to trade. Number one, because of what's going on in South Africa, a lot of indecision in the policies and the politics uh, that has just played the country for over 
I would say over a decade and a half, uh, to tell you the truth. And you've seen the RAND actually depreciate from 2011 to where it is right now, about 17 and a half. Um, and you're getting that volatility, okay? You're definitely having that volatility, but the RAND is not consistent, okay? Um, a lot of it has to do with politics and a lot of it has to do with the price of gold. And that's really affecting the price of the RAND. So it's a little bit of a difficult at sometimes currency to trade, okay? I'm not saying that it's not tradable. It is definitely tradable. Over the past three weeks, I would say you've had a couple of opportunities, three major opportunities to really trade. Uh, but altogether, okay, if we look at the currency markets, we're seeing a whole different picture than what we were seeing about six months ago, okay? Between six months ago and about five years ago, we were in a very tight range. I would say since Brexit, until about six months ago, we were in a very tight range, maybe six to 700 pips on the Euro USD, on the, da on the, on the GBP USD. It was very, very tight. There wasn't a lot of exciting things happening there. Now, over the past three weeks to four weeks, we've hit that volatility and then some, okay, in a matter of only three weeks. So, you know, a lot of opportunities in trading currencies right now just abound because of what's happening with all the stimulus packages and some of the inflationary issues, which country is going to be ahead of this situation. Everyone's taking this into uh, consideration. And then a follow-up question here from Melossi. He wants to know, how much money do you need to trade in foreign currencies? What's the minimum? Well, okay, so, I mean, you know, there's no real answer to answer that because you know you're starting a business okay it's not like you're going to the casino and you're just going to try out okay if you're looking to actually trade and take this seriously then you're starting a business okay that's the way i look at it that's the way i started with it um yes you could open up an account for 250 dollars but for me to tell you that it's going to be anything significant with 250 dollars would be me misinforming you um, it needs to be something significant. I would say start out with a thousand to two thousand dollars if you're trading currencies. Okay, that's a significant amount, and you could double that. And I've seen clients double that. I had one client come in; he put in four thousand dollars in his account. He started out with currencies, built his account to ten thousand dollars, moved it to commodities, moved it to indices, and the guy brought it up all the way to eighty-four thousand dollars. Wow, I bet you, you have some who've lost as much. Can you lose more than you put in? No, no, that's the that's part of what we do here is that we make sure the clients don't go negative, okay? That's not a scenario we want you to do. I mean, my approach to trading is really very conservative, very controlled, okay? You have to really be in a situation where it's a two-to-one ratio where you're looking to make twice of how much you're looking to lose, okay? There are rules to this. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that you just, you know, let me try it out or beginner's luck. There's a system to trading, okay? And if you really adhere to the system, you could be very successful about it. What's beautiful about this is that you don't need a Harvard degree, okay? Some of the best traders I've ever met in my life were taxi drivers or people who were cutting pizza for a living. And that's the point, okay? There's no filter to it for good or for bad, okay? But that gives you an opportunity to participate in trading the financial markets, even if you don't have a background of it. And that's what really is beautiful about it. And that's given a lot of people who are, you know, staying at home right now, the opportunity to really focus on alternative income streams like trading the financial markets. So your passion for trading really comes through there. 
Um, Fred. So here's a question for Aaron, and this is from Shaman, and Shaman asks, can South Africans buy property in the UK and can we open bank accounts there? So I'm assuming Shaman doesn't have the option of another passport. So Aaron, if you could just take us through the steps briefly. Yeah, sure. Um, there's, um, there's one of the slides a little bit further down, but yeah, the, um, the purchase process is pretty simple. I mean, the um, it's a little bit further down from there. I just see, boom, boom, boom. But um, yeah, you could just basically you could open a, a UK bank account. Um, you can usually do that. Barclays is one of the easiest ones that you, you could, uh, you know, open the bank account. Generally, South Africans have got like a one million rand per person that they can send across per year. So a lot of the investments are um, off plan. So you could send um, as a couple, um, you know, two million um, this year and then two million the next year. Um, you don't, you know, you don't actually have to open a UK bank account. So obviously some people do like to have the money um, in the UK. Um, but you would basically um, go through the purchase process. Once you've identified a property, um, you'd pay a small reservation deposit. Um, and then you start the legal process, and then once all your questions are answered, you um, exchange contracts, which is um, the same as sort of um, taking transfer in um, in South Africa. And um, you normally pay um, like a 10 to 30 percent deposit at that stage, and then um, the balance um, is paid at completion, depending on whether you've got a, a mortgage or whether it's in cash. Um, and then you know the money can be transferred via um, a broker like. Um, you know, like Sable um, to the solicitor who then completes the purchase for you. Um, other than that, you know, it's a pretty easy process and, um, you know, the solicitors have the power of attorney to sort of help you um, open bank account if you want to do that. Thank you. And then here's a follow-up question. Uh, and uh, Shaba wants to know, purchasing a property is one thing. The difficulty for me is finding or identifying an agent to manage it from a rental, resale and legal issues. So what's your advice? So in other words, it's nice to have a property investment, but these need a lot of management, particularly if you have tenants. Yeah, I mean, I own a buy-to-let portfolio myself, and yeah, I completely understand that. You know, I've got a property that's in the Midlands, and I had, um, you know, a troublesome tenant there, and I even had a squatter, and it was a very difficult, um, you know, challenging time. Um, so, you know, it depends, again, like on your sort of, your profile and how um, you know how much hands off you want to have it, and whether you wanted to go for um, income growth or um, capital growth. So you know, in terms of having like, a, if you want to put the least effort in, you've got things where like it's a retirement property, like a care home. You buy um, a, a care home studio, and then the operator leases it back from you, and that's usually like a ten-year lease. So it's a you know between a ten and twenty-year lease. It's a commercial lease. You're getting your income every year, um, and it's you know in the region of ten percent. So you know you know there's less hassle from that side. Um, there's still risks. You know there's the operator risk. Um, you know and you probably won't get much capital growth on it, but you're going to get good income. And on the other side, like if you're just going for a buy-to-let property, like in Manchester, for instance, um, there are um, you know the demand is is good in these places. Um, generally, like there's the most most 30 year olds that are living um, in um, any city is in Manchester. So you're getting young professionals, um, and then there's management companies who will do the full management for you. Um, normally, it's you know about 10% um, for the full management, and they'll give you quarterly updates and um, you know take care of any problems that are um, 
with regards to the tenant if there's non-payment and you can take out like a rental insurance as well so the rental insurance is only 30 quid per year and they, that will uh, give you access to a solicitor to help you with evictions and, and those sorts of things. So there's a lot more things that are available now for overseas investors to sort of make it easier. Um, but you are, will pay slightly more, whereas if you do manage it yourself, it's cheaper or you could get a, a let-only management. It's like 6%, but, you know, you're going to pay 10% for the full management. It's, it's quite good to have for peace of mind. Okay, I can't hear you now. Thank you. Sorry. A question for Fred. Bitcoin, what is it and how do you get your money out of it? Is it a good trading option? Uh, so Bitcoin is under the umbrella of cryptocurrencies uh, that have been, I think, in circulation since 2011. I would say that's the as earliest that I remember it. It started out at $50. Uh, basically, it's a non-bank, non-central government uh, currency, okay, that is uh, circulating in the markets. Now, we've spoken about uh, several types of uh, cryptocurrencies, um, and they're gaining popularity, okay, uh, Bitcoin being the most um, popular out of all of them. Um, it basically trades just like any foreign currency, okay, you could trade it uh, just like you trade any, any kind of uh, asset. Um, it's been quite a ride for Bitcoin over the past uh, two years, two and a half years, uh, going as high as 20 Bitcoins per dollar, really. Uh, so it's 20,000. Uh, and I remember when it was trading back in 2011, it was trading at $50 uh, per Bitcoin. So, it, you know, it, it exploded in 2017. Um, and since then, it's been in a kind of like an interesting perspective of where it's really trading and really trying to find its character in the new world that we have, because it's it's not readily available to be used at any groceries. But as we make this transformation, especially now that we've been in lockdown, I think everybody has you know transferred themselves. I myself am not carrying any cash or any coins to the best of my ability just to avoid any kind of surface germs or anything like that. And I think that a lot of people are going to uh, transfer into uh, going into payment solutions from their phones and so on and so forth. It's going to pick up steam. And there are a couple of companies that are really trying to pick up the ball, like Facebook and Google, that are going to use these kind of cryptocurrencies. Um, and they're getting a lot of slack for it because it's not uh, regulated by some of the central governments. Uh, basically, it's stateless. Um, so there are some risks and like anything else in life, right? But uh, ultimately, the market will prevail. Okay, now it is traded on a future exchange. So it is traded on the CME group. Okay, so it is recognized. Uh, so it does have some sort of hands-on regulatory body on it, but nothing to make it, you know, go to infinity or nothing to make it go to zero just like any other currency okay for for all intents and purposes so um it's still finding character at this stage okay it reminds me very much of the internet stocks about 20 25 years ago so would you um trade in bitcoin is that an area that you personally would get into um yeah so i've covered it on my daily reviews uh there have been a couple of opportunities over the past few weeks actually um, you know, usually when you're having these massive spikes in the markets, okay, you usually have a what we call a V formation, which means it's a 
one directional and then a correctional move that comes right after it. And then you've got a long period of time we have consolidation, okay, where the market is just true, really just, you know, trading in a very tight range. Uh, and that happens quite often. It happened with gold, you know, since 2012, where gold sold off from 1800 down to 1000 and traded between 1300 and 1000 for about four or five years until now it's started to explode again. Um, so, you know, these are cycles the markets will continue to have. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just a natural uh, formation of the markets. Thank you, Fred. And then here's a question for Aaron from Rosemary. She says, please explain the UK tax implications of rental incomes from property in the UK. Yeah, definitely. Um, the individuals, um, when you have your um, your first bit of income, each person's got their own income tax threshold, which is currently £12,500. So that's quite a, a decent amount that you could be earning in, in property income without um, paying any UK tax on it. So that's tax-free. Um, but you have to sort of consider um, other, you know, taxes when, you, when you're looking at the income because if you are purchasing it in your own name, a recent change occurred that um, is called mortgage interest tax relief. In your own name, you can't deduct the interest um, off of your expenses. So it means you're actually getting taxed on your um, total revenue of your property. So um, the easiest thing is to do is to, um, we've got our accountant to set up a company for you. It's 150 pounds and um, the, the cost to do you submit your accounts per year is 450 but what you'll be able to do is then take off all the interest payments um, that means you'll get a much larger um, you know income and then once you pay the income out from your company that's tax-free so you're really only just paying on the income side um 20 percent tax which is the corporation tax Thank you. And then are there extra implications for South Africans on their tax when they bring the rental back to South Africa or even just when it's reflected in their income tax returns? Yeah, the, um, I don't know so much on the South African um, tax side of things. I'd have to consult their tax experts. Um, but what the people are generally doing is that um, they do have a UK um, double tax treaty with the UK. So, you know, the banks, um, you know, they would, you know, communicate that back to South Africa. Um, but what some people are doing is um, putting their children um, like over 18 years old as directors on their UK company. So that the company owns that the income is then paid to the children. Um, so they don't, you know, incur the same tax liability because if you're a high earning taxpayer in South Africa, you may not want to have that income um, being declared in your own name. So there's certain ways around which are within the um, legalities, you know, so, um, you know, you're not being a tax dodge, um, you know, breaking any tax rules, you're just using the systems correctly. Right. Thank you. And then here's a question for Fred from Ryan. And Ryan wants to know, should you invest in the S&P 500 or separate stocks? What's the best way to play that yeah, game? Yeah, so that's the million dollar question, right? So, you know, do you diversify or do you put your eggs all in one basket? I mean, you know, over the years, you know, I've, you know, that, that, the answer to that question depends on a lot of factors. It depends on your age gap. It depends on how long you're looking to invest. Uh, it depends on what your risk parameters are. Um, the S&P 500 over a 10-year period generally earns 10% per year, okay? 
which is very reminiscent of something like uh, the real estate market, okay, at least in the United States, not very familiar with the UK market, although some of uh, the uh, similarities overlap, especially because it's a uh, landlord-friendly environment, okay, which means that landlords generally make money as opposed to somewhere like Germany, uh, where, you know, the land is, it's more of an incentive to rent than to buy. Um, so, but focusing on the S&P and focusing on stocks, um, you know, it, when you're, when you're, there, there's benefits and demerits to each one. Uh, the benefit of investing in the S&P 500 is you have consistency over a longer period of time, okay? And you're not averse to massive corrections in markets like you would if you were only exposed to a particular stock. Now, at the same time, okay, your upside is limited also. Okay, because you're just trading or you're just investing in the S&P 500 and not in some, you know, exotic type of stock like Tesla, for example, which generated over, uh, you know, 600 to 500 percent, I believe it is. Uh, so, you know, there's a benefit and demerit to each one. You have to really calculate your time horizon. You have to ca calculate your risk aversiveness to it um, and for you to be really, you know, on ball, you know, so it also depends how active you want to be in the markets right so if you just want to invest and just you know close your eyes for 10 years and just you know wake up at 10 years later uh then that's a that's a different strategy as well so it really depends on the particular person's time horizon and risks thank you and then here's another question for aaron uh, Anne wants to know, and maybe you can't uh, specify, can you recommend any companies that do rental management in the UK, preferably a company that would help you to purchase as well as rent? So in other words, give your money to somebody, they find the property, they find the tenants, they take all the hassle off your hands. Yeah, sure. Um, well, as our name suggests, One Touch Property, you know, we're trying to help people from start to finish. So, you know, we um, have well, well researched investments in some of the major cities where um, there's good economic growth and uh, capital growth. So um, we could certainly help her find the properties. And then each of the developers that we work with has got their own uh, property management team. So they would like, um, they've got their own on-site lettings management and property management team. So it is kind of like the one-stop shop, you know, and, um, if they come to us. So if they log on our website, One Touch Investments, you know, we can start having a discussion to see if we can find something suitable. Okay, so your company is one of them, but there are other companies like that as well, you, you think? Yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you. And then the million-dollar question, Fred, how do you get good exposure to gold? And Arthur says that last week we were hearing a lot about uh, funds giving you exposure through, you know, companies that uh, in turn are gold mining companies. So we had a guest who spoke about the MSCI World Index. Um, but you, there must be lots of opportunities to invest in gold in various ways, and, which you could perhaps set out now. Commodities, for example, oh, how do people get started? Uh, so there's there's several aspects of gold that you could invest or trade. Okay, um, if you're looking to invest, you'd probably be looking for an ETF. It's called uh, to inf invest in a traded fund that represents some sort of gold. Um, uh, com well, either commodity or actual the miners uh, or anything along the way uh, that is on the trail of gold. Um, and then there is, you know, the physical gold where you could actually trade, you know, gold. Uh, you could buy gold in a store and you could trade it online. So, 
the uh, availability of gold is is there. Um, I think in the next six months, it's going to be a very rocky ride with gold. Um, some people are calling a $3,000 um, um, target by the end of the year. I called a $2,000 target by the end of the year, and that was three months ago. Um, and that we've hit that, okay? We've retraced a little bit below that, but um, ultimately gold will be in play for the next few years, for sure. So how do you play that game? How do you, can, can you uh, give a bit more granular detail about what traders should be looking for so that they can buy at the right time? Well, you know, it's the old adjectives of, of you know, saying, you know, buy low, sell high. Okay, this really, you know, it's a very simple uh, strategy. Um, you know, there there are pocket of opportunities where gold explodes, okay, and then it either retraces and consolidates, which it's done in the, over the past three weeks. Um, there are definitely, you know, nothing ever just goes up and just stays high, okay? Uh, there are multiple times during the day and multiple times during the month uh, that things, you know, fluctuate for traders to get participation in. Um, it's, you know, ultimately, it's using the application of technical analysis in order to, uh, you know, find entry points into gold. Uh, but if something is going up, it's going up, okay? So your entry level is not the most important part, believe it or not. Uh, it's it's where you expect it to go up to. Um, and right now we're pushing the envelope with it, okay? Uh, there's a lot of activity. Warren Buffett is actually completely empty with all of his equity, all of his shares, all of his stocks are completely empty. And he's transferred money uh, to a couple of countries offshore that are doing bonds. And he's also put money into gold, okay? A lot of money into gold. Uh, so, you know, you've got to go where smart money is going. Um, and, you know, in this business, you know, it's not about reinventing the wheel, uh, but many times just, you know, finding that opportunity where other major players are going into. Thanks. Just on the issue of um, Warren Buffett going into gold, there's been some comment that he, he hasn't actually gone into gold, but he's gone into a gold mining company and he's backing a good manager, which is one of his sort of approaches to investing. Do you think that, what is your view on that? Or do you think he's genuinely so, backing gold? So, you know, Warren Buffett has a list, okay, where I call it the checklist of different components, each kind of company that he invests in has to match. Um, and that's his strategy over, you know, the 50 years that he's been uh, investing in the markets. And, you know, overall, he's made money, okay? He's been very, very, good returns overall now there have been some setbacks in the past um and his his strategies are not to invest in the actual commodity per se but to invest in the chain of developing that commodity so it's very natural to see warren buffett actually to uh do something like that because it's more in the inclination of something that he calls that i understand um and you know for each type of trader or investor um, whatever markets you're trading, okay, whether you're in the housing market, whether you're in your commercial uh, real estate or residential real estate, or whether you're trading the financial markets, okay, in the various categories, um, there's always a strategy and an edge that you develop for yourself of what works, okay? Um, and I'm, I'm very much of the type of personality to say, learn as you go along. Um, and, you know, you could do it in property management, you could do it in, you know, it just takes time, longer time when you're doing something with real estate, but, you know, the financial markets are much more instantaneous. Um, so really, ultimately, 
the strategies are there. You just have to focus about what works and what works for you, and then you could make money over the long term. Thank you. And then as we start wrapping up the webinar, we've got some questions here about the risks. And Johannes says, uh, is it true that 80% of traders lose all their money? Uh, the numbers, I don't know exact numbers, okay? Um, unfortunately, the numbers are not in their favor, okay? And like I said before, ultimately, because there's no filtration about who enters the market and how they enter the market, uh, there are a lot of people that do not succeed. And it's not because they're not capable. It's mostly because they haven't seen it through fully, okay? Now, I've been committed to this business for over 20 years. I've had bad years, I've had good years, and I've had better years, okay? Um, but ultimately, I'm committed to the process of developing myself and continuously developing myself into a consistent trader. Um, and I feel that a lot of people who come into it have very false expectations. Those false expectations um, are met with frustration initially because it's not having to have that instant success um, as some of the movies or some of the shows that you've seen before and people talking about trading. Uh, but it is ultimately one of the most exciting, one of the most diverse, one of the most acceptable ways to uh, garner and to make wealth over a period of time. And what's the biggest mistake you've ever made, Fred? The one that you regret that you would uh, advise your children not to make? Do you want the itemized list? <laughs> <laughs> Just one. <laughs> There's many. There, there really is so many. I mean, uh, probably the biggest mistake I've ever made was that I didn't get involved as big as I wanted to in real estate early on, believe it or not, which is not directly related to trading the financial markets. Um, but you know, ultimately, it's you take life lessons and. You know, the way we called it is that we we're paying our education, okay? When we lost money in any kind of trade or any kind of business dealings that we did, we call it paying your education, okay? You, you go to universities, you pay an education, um, and that's, that's you know, that's part of life, okay? Um, and that's natural, and that's healthy, and that's, that's good. It's a process, okay? If you don't lose money, you don't learn, okay? Most of the biggest losses that I've had, okay, I've, le I've learned, and I've gained some of the best education that I could reflect back to. Now, does it hurt? Absolutely hurts, okay? There are times that I look back and I say, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just cut that short? Um, but ultimately, it's a process, and you have to accept that process and learn from that process, and that's how we grow as individuals, as investors, as as husbands and wives, as, as children, as, as parents, um, and that's part of it. That's part of the, you know, cycle of life that we we need to gain for ourselves and if you don't go through those challenges you don't learn thanks fred and then aaron what are the biggest mistakes that you've made in property and what mistakes are you seeing when people move offshore what what should they guard against well if fred who's a professional trader says his biggest mistake was not getting involved in real estate maybe i should leave it there yeah, but there are obviously mistakes that people can make because real estate also has its own risks. You know, you can maybe sell too early or buy the wrong property or buy at the wrong time. Is there anything that you you would uh, advise people to guard against? Yeah, I think that um, for myself personally, it was um, on not getting involved in a deal again. You know, I was, I was waiting for someone else to join me um to sort of feel more secure and about making the investment and the hunch that i had um was a correct one and it was the it was actually the biggest loss was not um 
something that I'd bought and 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 lost money on. It was more something that um, I didn't take the opportunity. And I think people have got to have a clarity of vision. You know, a lot of people from South Africa, they kind of would go and say to me, okay, fine, I want to invest, but then I want to like have a place to live as well. And I think you've got to have a clarity of focus and saying, well, make an investment for the investment purposes. And if, um, you know, if you do have the rights to live here or a passport, like from ancestral visa or whatever, if it does come to a point where you need to leave South Africa for whatever reason, you may, you don't know where you're going to stay or what you're going to do. So you can sell that property at that stage if that ever happens and then buy something for yourself. So it's having that clarity of focus, I think. Hmm. Thanks. Well, one of my regrets, I think, is not investing uh, in March when we, when one of our regular commentators, Koki Koyman, said this was the best buying opportunity he's ever seen in 30 years. So I wish I was had been trading at that stage. Definitely. So, yeah. So, so thank you very uh, much. Yes, Fred? Just to add, you know, I just said before that it wasn't not that, you know, that real estate wasn't, you know, my biggest it's just it, I would have wanted to get bigger in real estate. That's all it is. Uh, but, you know, I have no regrets whatsoever entering trading the financial markets. That's really, you know, the I think that's, you know, that's part of, you know, where where everybody is, is some sort of commerce. Um, and at the end of the day, whether you're trading the financial markets or you're in, in real estate, you're in investments and you're looking to build your portfolio. Um, and you, you hear some of the same repertoire. Uh, between whether you're investing in real estate or the financial markets. So, you know, ultimately it's it's all under the same category of investing. So in other words, have a, have a balance, Fred, even if you are trading. Exactly. Okay, great. Well, that's a great note to end off on. So thank you very much to Fred Razak of CM Trading and Aaron Kirkfleet of One Touch Property. And thank you to everybody who joined us today at the webinar. Uh, next week we've got Craig Gradich, who's an award-winning financial planner, joining us and probably another person who also specializes in trading. So we'll see you next week and please do send me your questions uh, and feedback. So thank you very much. Thanks very much, Jackie. Appreciate it.